street gospel, light of the temple. Saw a swing, kill a lie from the ghetto. The hood messenger, let him know hell's close. Black burial, the devil in a black cloak. Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One. And this is episode number... Yo, Cam, what episode is this? 70. Episode 70. Cam's uh, last episode was his favorite, episode 69. Uh, me and his mom talking about, you know, sex and uh, <laughs> marriage and all that. Nah, that was a Cam's favorite episode, but he did like it because uh, it was his parents, man. It was a good It was a good episode. So check out episode 69. It featured my beautiful wife. Uh, we talked all things marriage, uh, church, uh, how to get along, a bunch of good stuff on there. So uh, if you didn't catch that episode, make sure you catch that episode. Uh, really quick, as always, make sure you subscribe. So wherever you watch the podcast at, listen, make sure you go ahead and subscribe. And uh, we're good, man. But uh, today we have a guest, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of happy that this guy did this podcast today because... Uh, I, mean, I hear that he gets asked a lot, and I, I, I believe it, but he said that he'd do our podcast, which that makes two in a row, because Arnold Barbosa got asked from everybody to do their podcast, and he said he wasn't going to do it. He was going to do ours, and uh, this guy went ahead and did ours today, so I appreciate it. He is a believer, a husband, a father. He's a businessman, a speaker. He is a coach, and I hear... I hear he hoops a little bit. You know what I mean? So we, we got to see some video. We got to see some video. We had, we had the professor on this show. There you go. Straight up baller right there. So I want you all to give it up out there for Mr. Jay Gothier Jr. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Super pumped to be here. What's up, man? What's going on? Thanks for being on today. I'm excited. It's an honor. It's great, man. Uh, so you're a junior. Yes. I'm a junior, too. Sweet, I did not know that. Yeah, I don't. I don't always use the junior, but it's on my license. On my, it's on my uh, passport. It's on all my paperwork, man. There you junior. Go. So there you go. Uh, yep. My father was David Senior, so I'm a junior, man. So this awesome. It's it's a blessing and a curse sometimes, though, right? Being yep. a junior. Yep, it is. <laughs> it is, especially when dad's a pastor. Okay, yeah. See, that is that is all bad right there, man. You you are uh, you got raised in a Christian home. Dad's a pastor. Yep, I think I was born in the nursery almost I mean, my, my whole life. I don't know anything otherwise. Only the nursery. How how tough is it being a a PK man, a pastor's kid? I mean, we hear, we hear all the horror stories. Do you have any? Do you have horror stories? Are are you pretty like? Nah, it was a good life. You know, it's it's interesting because I don't have anything to compare it to. Um, it's all I know, but but it it does come with a. Uh, yeah, it com- it comes with its drama. It comes with the expectation of you being perfect. It comes with um, the 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 judgment and the looking down that you get from everybody in church. Right. I mean, everything's critiqued. Everything's in the spotlight. Um, but I, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm I'm grateful for it. That's good, man. Uh, are you an only child? No, I'm one of three. One of three. Two are you young, the- two younger siblings? Oh, okay, so you're the oldest. So you you felt the brunt of everything before they did. Yeah. Yep. yep. Where where did you grow up at? I grew up in El Monte. El Monte. In the hood. Oh, in the hood. Okay, so I know El Monte. There you go. Right, so so what side did you live on? Did you live on more of the Mountain View side? Or no, did you... I was uh no no no, right by Arroyo. Arroyo side. Yeah, okay, Arroyo. so you there's not like it's a great it's it's not like a great part 
where no. any part of El Monte is is rough. But it wasn't the worst. But yeah, Royal is not the worst though. It's yeah. a little up there is a little bit a little bit better. My wife grew up off Clingerman, so she was oh, on the, the on the other okay. side. Yeah. So you know what's funny thing about that is Clingerman is like I have uh, uh, there's a Clingerman apartments. Yep, infamous. Yeah. So my buddy's mom. Is is would be the woman that would go to the cleaner apartments and and feed the kids and then Christmas time you know she she give out toys nice. and she just barely retired but I think she did that for like thirty years wow. over there so it's rough I actually went to church in in Almani for for a good number of years uh, Praise Chapel on okay. Tyler yeah, yeah so yeah. Uh, still have friends that go there I still know the pastor really well I would I would go there because I had a lot of friends that went there so we we just gravitated there for like. I think like five years when uh, my daughter was young. So we, we went there for about That's five awesome. years. So I grew up off Tyler and Montecito right across okay. from Nativity. Okay. Yeah. Right in there. Yeah. And then did, did you go to, did your dad pastor there? My dad pastors at First Baptist Church okay. of El Monte still to this day. Wow. He's been there since 91. Dang. So it's been 32, 33 years now. That's it. I mean, and then did you go through any uh, struggles as uh, as coming up when you finally became a teenager? And, and church kids always seem, I was a church kid too, yep. seem to rebel a little bit. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. There, there's a lot of things that I'm, that you look back. I was just telling my wife, it's interesting. As a kid, you don't, uh, you don't think about the consequences of your decisions, you know, and there's a lot of things now I look back and I go, man, thank God. I didn't get caught doing that or that or that because I, I wouldn't have my career today. You know, I, would, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I did. Re- there were things I shouldn't have done for sure. But uh, but I think I, I came out the best of the three. Of the th- oh, of really? The three. <laughs> yeah. Would they argue that? <laughs> Maybe, huh? Maybe. <laughs> I know. It seems like when they, when they get to the youngest child, like the parents are just like, oh, forget it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the first sure. one is always rough. They're always more stringent. For and then sure. by the time they got to my youngest sister, they were just like, give up. Yeah, we're tired now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just hold on and you'll be an adult one day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the parenting goes to the kids now, the older kids. <laughs> right. It's just like, yeah. So were you, did you play sports? Yeah, I played sports my whole life. Um, played basketball, played football. Uh, focused more on basketball. Basketball was uh um, I wanted to play college ball, got hurt, uh, my senior year in high school. And, um, so ended up, uh, not playing, ended up, uh, going to the fire department okay. instead. And then, um, yeah, I coached basketball for about nine years at, at Rosemead high school. And, um, I loved it, man. Sports has been my, my whole life, but you know, grew up in a sports family. Yeah. Sports is, uh, I, I tell people all the time there's they, sometimes they, they, they get on, me for watching too much sports. I mean, I'm a Raider fan. I mean, uh, you know how that goes. Yep. Okay, so a Laker fan, Dodger fan, all out. I mean, Raiders were LA at one time. That's when yeah. I grew up. It's all the same fan base, right? It's oh, the same yeah. fan base. It's a rowdy fan base. I tell everybody, look, man. Bottom line is this: what? Who do you want on your team? If you're getting into a fight, you're gonna want a Raider <laughs> fan, a Laker fan, or a Dodger fan. Yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah. want an Angel fan. I'm sorry, That's bro. True. You're not gonna want an Angel fan on your team. You're there is some ghetto Clipper fans out there, so I'll give them that. But definitely going to want a Raider fan on your team. That's what I tell For people sure. all the time. For sure. But, you know, I mean, but I tell people there's something about sports, like, that brings your family. You said your your family is a sports fan. Our family yeah. is a sports family, too. Yep. There is a lot of memories within 
sports when you're growing up, watching sports, right? Yeah, 100%. You remember the times and the and the experience you had in sport, like yep. watching it with your family, right? Yep, 100%. I mean, think about, I mean, okay, I know you're, you're a Kobe fan, right? 100%. Uh, me too, yeah. okay, Ash too, right? The biggest. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I think people like, I had some people tell me like when he passed, like, you know, you didn't even meet him or you didn't know him. I don't know right. if you met him. You probably met him, right? I did. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get into that. But the like they were like, you don't even know him and you're so sad about it. You know? And I'm like, Yeah. I go, it, it it's sad because you feel like you know him. You right, watch right. him for twenty years of your life. Mm-hmm. It's not just he's not just a a, a a player that you you know, that got traded, you know, after four years and right. you don't even know. Where he, maybe a Kyle Kuzma, like, man, I, yeah, I remember Kyle Kuzma or Kwame Brown. Oh, yeah, Smush Parker. I remember those dudes. You're like, like he was mythical 20 years in one team and you watch yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. I think when he passed, like, we would, like, the biggest thing for us was, like, dang, remember we watched the, the that game? I remember this game or right. remember when – Ron Artest was a villain, and then he was on our team yeah, with Kobe, yeah, and he'd yeah, have Kobe's yeah. back. All that stuff, right? It's kind of like you put that those memories together. Yeah, that's the cool thing about sports, and and that's that's also the cool thing of being fortunate to to grow up. I was very fortunate to grow up in a good family, you know, where my mom and dad have been married forever, and um, grow up in the church and uh, have you know family support, parent support. You know, we were able to play in all the sports, do all the travel ball teams. Mom and dad always came to the games, you know. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that we're very blessed to, to, to have surrounding sports. Now, Every childhood memory is sports. So. It is, yeah. right? I, I tell people that all the time. It's like more of the memory of, of, of those things. More, It's just getting together, going to Little League games. Right. You know, and then you... One day you're taking your kids to games and you're like, hey, I remember this. Like, there you go. <laughs> man, I can't believe my dad was that dedicated because it sucks. Every yeah, weekend, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, practice and everything. But it's, it's, yep. a, it's a good thing. Does your uh, – does your you, you have one child? We have a goddaughter. Your yeah. goddaughter. Yeah. Play sports? sports yep. Softball. I know Ash always says that you, bring, you, you, you take care of her really well. Take yeah, her to yeah, – yeah. take her everywhere with you. But, yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch that stuff. It's really it's really good to watch that stuff and get involved in that. I mean, it's 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 a great thing. Now, I heard you're a musician, too. Yeah, I work, I lead worship at church. Yeah, so I play guitar, drums, and piano. Cam will be in love with you, man. He's, he's a bass player for the worship. There you go. I mean. There you go. How do you fit that in with your schedule? We'll get into your schedule and everything that, but how do um, you still do that? You know, it's a... Uh, it's a it's a passion. It's something I love. I think uh, I think worship is um, one of the most powerful tools, you know, of Christianity and faith, and and so I look forward to it. I look forward to it. It's a uh, you know Sunday would probably be in most cases the one day when I didn't have to get up early, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and and because of worship, it's the day I get up the earliest. Yep. Um, of the week, but man, I look forward to it. It's it's a it's a blast. Are you still you still lead, is it at your still dad's church? Worship at dad's church. Yeah, man, that's amazing. I love that man because like most times, kids get to a certain age and they're like, yeah, I can't stay here no more. I yeah, got yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they leave their dad's church. But you're still serving in your dad's church. That's pretty special, man. It's a blast, man. It's it's an it's an honor. It's a it's a blessing for sure. Every Sunday morning, my dad also is on the worship team. You know, he, he sings. Um, Goddaughter sings, you know, it's a, it's a, 
And we're actually pretty good, man. It's so I, I look forward to it. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> is your is your dad a big dude? Dad's uh yeah six two. Yeah, so he's a big yeah, dude. So you, so you got some big people on the worship <laughs> team, man. Well, my brother in law plays the bass. He's Samoan. Oh man, he's a uh, he's six six four. 330 pounds. He's a big boy. <laughs> now you tell you do a lot of stuff in financial uh in this financial realm. Right. But because you lead wor- worship and you're still involved in your dad's church before we get into the financial how much of uh of giving back is is important when you're talking about financial stuff. I mean because you're making room for that. You're making room for God, but you're making room to to serve the church. That's and, and that's what you're doing. Is is that a big part of your financial advice when you give to people? You know, it's funny. So I have a client who um, I just met with last night. She's been a client of mine eight years. Her husband just recently passed away, and uh, eight years ago we put a. This is in the beginning of my career. We put a life insurance policy in place for her husband. Wow. Um, half a million bucks, nothing crazy. And, uh, that husband died at 52 unexpected, thought he was healthy mountain biking every day, six pack worked out the whole thing. You look at him, you think he was in great health. And, um, she reminded me of something last night when I sat with her, she said, Jay, do you remember eight years ago when we did this? I asked you what happens if we can't afford it? You know, what happens if we if we get to a place where we can't put money into the account every month? And she said, do you remember what you told me? And I said, no, I don't. I don't remember. It's been that was 100,000 appointments ago. I have no clue. <laughs> what did I say? She said, you looked at me and you said, if you can't afford it, then tithe more. Wow. And I said, oh, well, I still believe that. She said, you know, what? that stuck with me for the last eight years. I, that's been in my head. So I'm a I'm a big believer that you show your commitment to something, um, whether it's people, whether it's a career, whether it's a hobby, whether it's your faith in, in two ways, which is time and money. That's the only thing. Um, lip service, talking words, irrelevant. So in my mind, my commitment to my faith and to, uh, my church and to the things that I believe in, um, I could only show that, you know, to God by either making time for it you know, and also in giving, you know, um, diligently and, and faithfully. And so, yeah, man, I, I think uh, I think it all goes together. Um, you know, the Bible says to, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? And so the the more you do it right, I think the more you get. So That's awesome, man. How did you get involved? You said you're a fireman. How did you get involved in the in the finance world there? So, so um I've been in my industry now since April of 2011. So we just hit what would be what? 12 years? Yeah. Um, I, growing up, I, I talked a lot. Let's touch your mic up a little bit. I always there got in go. trouble for talking a lot. Um, <laughs> I always got in trouble for talking back. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be an attorney. That was my goal. And... Then I realized how much school is required a lot. for being an attorney. And I said, well, you know what? I already hate school. Uh, I went to college for one semester at a Christian school, master's college. Okay. And uh, where my dad went for seminary. And after one semester, I said, well, I don't want to do this. It, you know, this is a, I think a lot of kids go to school now because they feel like it's what they have to do. So their parents will leave them alone. Um, 
but it's a very expensive lesson, you know, if you're just trying to figure out what sure. you want to do in life. And so after one semester, I was 20 grand in debt, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. So I left, ended up going to UCLA for a paramedic school. Uh, I said, I'm going to go become a fireman. Everybody loves a fireman. Career is good. Doesn't require eight years of college. Retirement's great. Retirement's great. I could do this forever. Um, went to school, did well. My parents, thankfully, supported me in, in wanting to do that. Um because they paid for it, obviously it wasn't exp- it wasn't cheap, and uh, I, I think I, I knew that they weren't sure I was going to finish because I was very flighty. I would start something and then move on to something else, and I would never finish one thing. And I and I did. I finished. I knocked it out of the park. Finished top of my class. Got on an ambulance. Started doing that. And I'll tell you what happened. I was sitting there one day, and I was thinking about my career. And my wife was in grad school. And she was finishing her master's at Laverne in psychology. And I remember sitting there going like, I was on the ambulance and I was working and and I was thinking and I said, do I, do I want to do this forever? Like 20, 30 years. And the last day of medic school, um, the professor had a fireman who's been a fireman for 25 years. He had five more years to retirement. He came to the class. And, uh, and he would talk and tell his story and, you know, talk about his career. And then he did Q&A. And I'm listening. And after class, I walked up to him when class was already over, one-on-one. And I said, hey, can I ask you something? If you could go back 25 years, is there anything you would do different? Or are you happy with your career? Wow. And he looked at me and he said, um, if I could go back 25 years and give you any advice, I would tell you to run. Really? Find something else to do. Wow. And he was so honest with me. And I and I asked him, I said, can I ask you why? He said, I'm burnt out. I've been burnt out for 10 years. Oof. I've been divorced twice. This is a single guy's job. If you ever want to be True. married and have a family, this is not what you want to do. True. And, um, and I kid you not, I left that day and I kept working. My dad um, has, my mom and dad, you know, have been faithful to their ministry for, for forever. Um, since I was, I can't even remember. Um, even when they moved to the church in Almani as the senior pastor, he was already pastoring in Santa Clarita as a youth pastor before that, when I was born. And my mom and dad always struggled financially. They've been, they've been, you know, you don't, you don't choose ministry to be wealthy here no. on earth, right? I, my, my, my wife, real quick, my wife was, yeah. was a PK. Okay. Okay. Her dad. Before, be, he, before she became a PK, her dad worked like at McDonald Douglas. Okay. In the nineties, making like bank, right? Right, right. They become pastors. <laughs> I remember going over there. We were dating, and I'm just like, "You guys are not celebrating Christmas. We have we have no money. Right. It all goes to the church." And I could not believe it. So you're right. When people talk about. Joel Olstein and and yeah, yeah, all yeah. these rich pastors, like God bless them, but. N- the majority of churches are yeah that's it's a very small segment right. of those guys the majority of churches that the, the pastor is struggling just to make 100 yeah. percent. my mom and dad always struggled and as a kid I, I never knew that we had everything yeah i mean every travel ball team new shoes every school year we'd go to, we'd go to you know whatever i don't remember what store it was back then kmart or whatever and and we get a new backpack and a new pencil box and and a new lunch pail and everything Christmas comes around when the motor scooters came popular. We all got one, you know, like we had everything. And then I realized there's, there's a point in life where 
as a kid, you get old enough where you you start to see your parents as people, right? Not just as your parents, right? And I re- I remember that moment when I said, "Holy smokes, my mom and dad are broke," and. I think we've always been broke. And then I started to realize everything my parents did for us was all on credit card. Wow. They lost their house, filed bankruptcy, you know, um, had to move out. It was the most embarrassing moment of my parents' life. I mean, my, my dad said that afterwards later on. But because my parents were always broke, you know, I, I believe fear sharpens listening, right? When you're scared, you pay more attention. That's good. My dad got a call from a girl who was in his youth group 20 years before that. And she said, Pastor Jay, will you come down? First she said, Pastor Jay, just, this is Ann. Do you remember me? And my dad's like, yeah, of course I remember you. He had no clue who she was. and he, and, But he said he did. She said, will you come down to this office in Chino Hills? I'm working in the financial industry, and I just I need to have an appointment. And I, I need to find an appointment with someone who is a center of influence, that has influence, that has credibility, that everybody listens to, that knows a lot of people, and could hopefully send me referrals. Will you come down here? My dad ends up showing up to the office. And because my parents were so broke, my dad was on a $2,000 salary at the church for like 20 years. And the guy who my dad sat with said, hey, you're in your late 40s. 25 years ago, the church should have set up a retirement plan for you. You have nothing retirement is not an option for you based on you putting $200 a month in an account. There's not enough years for that to happen. The only way you're going to retire financially, because you'll probably do ministry forever, but the only way you'll financially ever be in a position where you don't have to worry about money again is if you could figure out how to make more money. Because if you could make more money, you could catch up. But that's the only way. And so my dad ended up getting his license to work in the financial industry. Wow. And he called me. And he told me, hey, will you come down here? Um, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it with you. I want us to do it together. Just the way you and Cam do this together. You know, my dad was like, yeah, I want to have something we could do together. And at that moment, Jerry Brown had just came in at, into office, laid a bunch of people off. I lost my job in the fire department. My dad didn't know I was at the lowest point financially that wow. I had ever been at. And it was putting pressure on our marriage because we were broke and my wife was working and finishing grad school and like... It, she was carrying all the bills, and I was a freaking loser husband sitting at home who couldn't get my crap together. And it was literally all at that same time. And the funny thing is is that that um, if you look at any great business or anything, anything great that blew up, it was started, in most cases, at someone's lowest, lowest point. point. Yeah, right? true. That was my lowest point. My dad had no clue. I went down to an office three days later and started that, that day, started my whole career in And never did I plan on it being my career. Never did I think I was going to do it forever. I knew nothing about money. I knew nothing about retirement. Nothing. How old were you? I was 21. Oh, yeah. So you're still 21, man. Yeah, that was it. Were you good at it right away? Not that you loved it, but were you good at it? Like you're saying, like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, I I was good at it. I I thank God every day. Every day when when I pray at night, I thank God that I don't suck at what I do. Because, um... Because now I've, I mean, I run a firm. I, I've recruited and trained about 300 advisors that work for me, and they ain't, they ain't all good at it, you know. And so, and some of them I see, man, they're hungry and they want it, but they just don't got it. Yeah. But they'll, they'll do all right. They'll make 50, 60, 70 grand a year, but they're never gonna, they're never gonna be huge. Over the top. Yeah. You know. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful 
that I, that I've always been good at it. But here here's the one thing I had. I didn't have experience. I didn't have credibility. I couldn't call a hundred people that would take me serious because I was a kid, and and all my friends were a little bit older than me, and they all knew me as being the punk teenager in church. You know, like that was it. They they didn't know me as they weren't going to take me serious. So, so you couldn't lean on. Let me get friends and family to to be my first not client. At all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all, man. Everybody's like, I'm not going to lie to you, man. One day. And I had my cousin come over, and he was trying to get in that realm, right? He gave his best pitch, and I was like, he left, and I was just told my wife, I was like, it's, it's going to be rough for him. <laughs> There's no joke. It's going to no be rough joke. for him. I, um, but when you come from very little, and, and based on what I know from you guys, you probably relate to this. The one thing I had, when you start from the bottom, it, if you could make it out, yeah, you have something inside you that nobody else has, right? Which is the fact that you've come from nothing, and you got a fighter, and you and you know, and you know how to make it out. Someone uh, who started at the top doesn't have that. Yeah, I think it's the uh, it, it's the well. First, I think it's the nothing to lose mentality, right? And then it's like I don't want to be here forever, Amen. like so. I I I have to make this work. I have to make this happen. So you, it, I always give the analogy of the guy that buys his own car. Cam bought his own car on there his you own. Go. You know what I mean? But a kid, he has friends that their parents bought the car for him. Right. I bet you Cam's car is cleaner than theirs. For sure. Right? I bet you he babies that truck way better. It might be a a used Tacoma, but this guy takes care of that truck. <laughs> he loves that truck. That's his baby. He has friends that have brand new, cool little Civics. I mean, they might be a little dirty, you know what I mean? But the parents bought them. Right, so there's right. Enough, there's, there's, there's no... Effort, there's no love because you, you didn't earn it. I think that right. there's something about when you earn it and it's not given to you that you, you're like, I'm going to push it a little bit further. Yep, I agree. Man, so you started working and then you saw some success. And when did, when did you decide that, okay, this is going to be my, my career? You know, I took my wife to, um, we had an event. Oh, what does she think about your new well, endeavor? He, here's the here's the funny <laughs> thing. She actually didn't know in the beginning. Okay. And the reason why is because my dad had done everything just trying to make it, you know, before that. And so he had done, he had got involved in like, like pyramid schemes, all kinds of stuff. Um, he was driving back. This was before Uber. So he was driving like town cars, picking rich people up from the airport. He was just doing everything he could to make money and just to keep the bills paid. So he would go pastor the church, do all that stuff. And then at night from 5 p.m. till 4 in the morning, he would drive and pick rich people up and you know wow. do all this stuff just to make ends meet. My mom was a high school teacher for 20 years at Rosemead High School, and so mom made the majority of the income. Well, my dad, because he had done all this pyramid-seeking stuff before, didn't really have a lot of credibility with my wife. So <laughs> when my dad calls me and he says, hey, I want you to come to this meeting, you know, come meet this guy, um, I, I went in secret, right? Thinking, you know, thinking a secret. My wife knew I was up to something. But, you know, the reality is, is I, I went without telling her. I didn't have money to get my license. My dad paid for my license. And so, you know, nothing came out of my pocket. So, but um, then I ended up telling her. And when I told her, she's like, is your dad there? Is this something your dad's doing? And I was like, oh, no, my dad. Why would dad be there? You know? Right. And so um, about three weeks later, we went to an event which was a training event for getting your license. But there was like 700 people. It was huge. And my wife's sitting in the back of the room. I don't really know anything at this point. Um, but, you know, my wife's watching the whole thing, and she turns to me, and she says, 
this is perfect for you. Wow. And I was like, really? Why, why, I think so, but why do you think that? And she's like, you're, you're never going to get bored here. She said, there's <laughs> tons of competition. It looks like one big sport. You know, wow. there's a scoreboard. She's like, and I, and I like it. She's like, the, the people that are run this company are good people. You know, because they're talking about faith from the stage. And, you know, they prayed for lunch that day. Wow. And a lot of stuff you don't see in corporate America. And so my wife says, this is perfect for you. The second she said that, man, I was like, I'm going to go all in. You know, that's awesome. I, first, I, I like it that she, that perspective that she had right away, it's competitive. You're an right. athlete. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you you like the the competition. There is a, It's a numbers game. Whoever right. has the highest numbers wins. Like she put that into perspective. But then the, secondly, I, I love, there's nothing like your wife when she gets behind you. Right, right. And just gives you like a little push and it's like your, your cheerleader. Yeah, you know 100%. What I mean? I, I, like you can almost, you almost feel like you can do anything if you have, well, you could. All you single guys out there, you get a good woman that's your cheerleader and that, and, For and sure. that, and that pushes you. There's something about that, dude. You're just like, yeah, you feel man. like you could do anything. A hundred percent. And, and, uh. There's nothing more powerful than two people working towards one thing with the same goal, yep. but they bring two different skill sets, yeah. you know, to the table, and, and you could get a lot done. That's dope, man. So you started seeing some success. It took me about 15 months to make a six-figure income, and that was 15 months. Yeah, about 15 months at 21, 22, 21, years, old? 22 years old. Yeah, so that wow. was 13 years ago. Uh, so six figure income back then was more than it is now. Oh, yeah. Six figures is a hundred thousand and also nine hundred thousand. But to cross a hundred thousand, it took me about fifteen months. And are you just like, yeah, this is it? I'm 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 all in now. It's funny, man, because I I I love to work, you know. And and the funny thing is, is in school and everything before that, I was always told. But well, my parents were always told that I was lazy. All I mean, that's all they ever heard, you know. And <laughs> And oh, maybe that maybe it was true, but I think when when uh, something captures your heart and you go like, hold on a second, this is something I could do, right? Man, you become passionate about it. I just I just became passionate about it. And I'll be honest, I I love making money. I, I love making money. I love having a good lifestyle. I love sitting courtside at every Laker game. I love um, being able to give without limitation. Right? You know, I mean. My driving passion the first five, six years of my career was I would sit in the church budget meeting and I would sit on the church deacon board and I would look at the church's budget and all I ever knew in church was we have no money. That's all I would ever hear is we have no money. Well, why don't we give to missions? We don't have money to give to missions. We can barely pay the electric bill, let alone support someone in Brazil, you know? And so I sat in that meeting for years once I had gotten in business going, okay, if I tithe ten percent, what do I need to make in order to cover the church's budget? You know, and I and and I started I started really having man. a vision for that. Of that's awesome. Man. If I make forty grand a month, the church will never think about money again. You know, and and that that was really my driving motivator for so long. You know, and then it, then once we got there, it was okay. I I prayed about it for a long time. When we get to the annual meeting, I'm going to propose that we raise Dad's salary. You know, and, and, and I got a little pushback on it, you know, and, but, but I mean, that was, I, I just think it was so much fun, bro. So I love making money because I, it opens up every so single, doors. every single resource that you could have. Now, Jay, 
the the problem with making more money for most people. I mean, you're you sound pretty unique because <laughs> the more people make, the stingier they get. A lot of times they get because because either it's fear that they're gonna go back to being broke, or they just it's mine. I earned it. You know, everybody says I'm. You know, I'm self-made. I, I I made it on my own, and they're just like so. They get their their funds, and it's just theirs. You're opposite. What what was the difference there? Well, I I don't believe anyone's self-made. Well, people say they're self-made, right? You know, self-made millionaire. It's it's, it's fake. And the the reality is is that they're they're they, they're right. They do the hard work. You have right. to do the hard work. But they but people only put the self-made before their name when they did well. Because if you're broke. You're also self-made. You're self-made in poverty. You're self-made filing bankruptcy. You're self-made 50 grand in credit card debt. And so it's all self-made. But the reality is, is I don't believe anyone does anything successfully on their own. Um, you know, if, if you look at, at anything, you know, in the Bible, the Joshua chapter 12 lists all the battles, right, that they won. Every single king that was defeated, that was not done alone. You know, in the beginning, it says... You and all these people are going to go here, right? Not just you. Yeah. And so I, I think God is is a co-pilot, right? Even though he's a pilot, I think I'm kind of the co-pilot. But we do it together, right? I'm going to I'm going to work like it's up to me and pray like it's up to God. And and the reality is is that the, I think that mentality of wanting to hoard everything, I think money's bad because the Bible says the love of money, right, is the root of all it, yeah. evil. Not Doesn't money. mean it's bad, but the love of it, right? Yeah. The the the. I think it's only bad when your pocket's the last one it's ever in, right? So, because money prints your Bibles, money pays your pastors, money funds your missionaries. You know, money is what... We need money to move the gospel. Right, exactly. The ministries that don't have a money problem can do anything. Yeah. Anything. You know, my our church is really involved with Operation Christmas Child. Are you guys familiar with that? Okay. So, so my dad's actually the regional director now i think in southern california for it and they did like i think our church did like fifteen thousand shoe boxes last year or something like that and um but the reason that ministry could go so far is it doesn't have a money problem so i think a scarcity mentality that scarcity mentality of there's a lacking of there's a shortage of there's not enough of i think that that mentality is what causes that stinginess it's the it's the constant, um, you know, I. it's so easy for us to list all the things that we don't have, right? Or, or a to-do list yep. versus like a list God already did this, right? It's, and, a, it's, and a whole list of that. I just posted that today. Did you really? Yeah, I was, I was, I was at work. I'm walking into the job site, right? And I'm just thinking and, and I put it, I have this men's group. So I sent a message to the guys, and I get, sometimes, man, we're first to write down the list of every bad thing that happens right. or, or every bad thing that's going on in our life. But we don't start off the morning with a list of all the good things. Hey, you woke up today. Hey, I'm breathing. Hey, I got to get ready to go to work. I got a job. Right. That's a car. It may not be the best car, but it's going to get me to the job site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a wife that loves me. There is food in the fridge. Yep. And we, we we forget about all this. So we'll list, I got this bill to pay, or I, I don't feel good, or this job sucks, or you know what I mean? And, and it's just, I got to deal with this boss. And it's just <laughs> all this negative stuff first 
Of course your day is going to be negative. 100%. Start off with a positive list, and then you know, then you can worry about the negative stuff out. Right. It doesn't make it go away, but it really puts your life into perspective. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, and then there's that balance of, yes, I, like, I'm very big on all my gratitudes, right? And yeah. th- But then there's also, like, all the, the victories, right? Like, yeah. there is a lot of stuff that that I've done that I could never have imagined I would have done before. You know, those are victories that those are things God did for me, right? Those were blessings. Um, and then there's the balance of, but could I do more? You know, I could do more, right? Yeah. So there's a scarcity mentality. There's an abundance mentality too, which is, man, I could do more. I could, I could do I more than that. this. You know, sure, I've done a lot, but man, imagine what I could do. You know, 10 years from now, I'll look back and go, man, I had hardly done anything. You know, and so, <laughs> yeah. so I, it, it's a balance, I guess. And, and it's something that I, I think struggled with, not myself, but I struggled with um, people in my church being able to relate to that, that way of thinking. Yeah. Because when you grow up in a small Christian church that's very traditional, it, they almost look at money as a bad thing. You know, even though yeah. it's what they always lack and it's what's always needed, it's also a bad thing, you know, where, you know, being rich is a bad thing. You know, it's like, I don't know. But my dad, I remember one time asked me why I didn't pursue ministry as a career, you know, to be a pastor. And I was honest with him. I said, because I don't want to be broke. Mm. And if you're a pastor and you make money, everyone calls you a con artist. I just don't want to be broke. It's so crazy. Why do you think, you know, you mentioned you were in the budget meetings. And and I went to a church, and I go to church now, that's very conscious and very open about the need and then very open when people give we we just did uh they sponsor the the, the our, my church sponsors the show and what we they, they do is hey we we we're gonna take a we do a, the big give every year and this year we got into like six figures which is crazy nice. for for we're, we're a medium-sized church <laughs> six figures in one offering mm-hmm. crazy right so boom and it was like it was like a huge jump up from last year. Wow. I think it was like 35,000, 40,000 more from last year. And so we're like, I feel good about giving. Number one, because I know, I know where it's going to. Right. You know, it's in what ministries it's being used at. And, and our church does everything with class, does everything, you know, top notch. Nothing's done cheaply. I mean, it, I mean, I'm sure it's on a budget, but I'm right. sure that it's done well. But there's a lot of churches that just don't seem to, I don't know, get over the hump, or are are they 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 can be in have a church for like 40 years and there's no abundance of anything. What do you think is the church's main problem when it comes to money? Well, I can tell you statistically, tithing is very very low. Um, it's very low. I think the average, it's like one and a half percent or something. Yeah, I think, I think it's like three, three percent or 5% of the church supports 95%. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Something like it's, the stats ridiculous. It's, it's really crazy. You know, it's God. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. I, I think a lot of it goes back to, well, I could tell you from, from my dad's perspective, he doesn't feel comfortable preaching about tithing. You know, I think a lot of pastors, because of the the stigma of money, and they don't even necessarily feel comfortable talking yeah. about it. Yeah. It's they almost feel guilty 
talking about it because it, it almost feels self, self-righteous self or selfish to talk about it. But I also think it's it's a cultural thing because when I go to a black church, man, it's completely different. Really? You go to a Southern Baptist church, completely different. You watch T.D. Jakes, completely different. The, the, the message is very different than the church I grew up in. The message in a, in a black church is ownership, be an entrepreneur, work for yourself, don't have a job, don't have a boss. God didn't put you wow. here to make somebody else money. Go make something happen for yourself. And then tithe, 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 and make a ton of money. Wow. Like, it's very different. So yeah. I, I go to like my friend's church, which is predominantly a black church, huge church in, in Inglewood, and that's the message from the pulpit. You know, God didn't make you to be average. So you're like... And I'm just like, Amen. hey, man. And I tell my dad, and my dad's like, yeah, that wouldn't go. If I did, gave that sermon, I'd probably get ran out of the church. You know, so I, I think it's a, a cultural, it's a cultural thing. thing, too. Um, and uh, I don't but know, they, man. But they, but they need to talk about money, right? I mean, 100%. I mean, I tell people that all the time. I, you know, I when people find out I'm a believer at work, wherever I may be, they're like, oh, man, you know, the church, they just want your money. To, and I said, I don't feel like that at my church. You know, I because there's... There's the ones that preach, give, 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 and there's one that don't preach. And there's right. some like in the middle, like, hey, we're we're gonna give, you know, we have the big give, like our church, and they don't, you know, we don't pass the buckets around, you know, during offering or have a little, you know, a little speech or somebody comes right, up right, and shares right. about money, right? And, hey, give the tenth, and you know, we don't have that whole thing. It's just, hey, you know, we want to give, you text to give, they show the little QR code. There's, there's. <laughs> There's little podium giving things you you can drop it in there at, when you leave or give on give on the app right, right right so it's just real hey just give I mean but then then I think people you know they, the first thing they tell me is like the church is just after your money and I I don't feel like that I feel like let me give my ten percent because I know ten percent is the Lord I, and they don't understand that concept of course they're not saved but I, I was like hey ninety percent after I give to the Lord will go further than the hundred percent right. And then it's and then it's used well, but the but the whole the whole thing with giving is, I want to give because, I want to be able that we can have this event, invite all these unsafe people. Hundred percent. Yeah. I want to do you know we want to do a men's thing and, and and the church we need we need funds to to promote this or bring in a speaker, and then we support uh, you know uh, uh, ministries that 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 save kids from from sex trafficking. Wow. And, and, and then they share that with us. You know, hey, nine kids were saved this month. And you're like, I gave to that. That's why I gave. Yeah, exactly. So, but a lot of times the church doesn't, like people in the church don't realize. And you're right. The cultural thing is the big thing because I think a lot of people get in the mode of, well, you know, Jesus didn't have a lot of money or the disciples lived off of where, wherever they were preaching at or whatever. Right. So I think they get in the culture of that. So that, that makes sense to me because I think people, they think they have to be a martyr to be a good Christian. <laughs> You know what I mean, and I, and we need guys like Jay to to come into the church and 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 tithe, and even not. I mean, a guy that makes a hundred thousand, hundred percent, you know, yeah. ties and just is faithful, and that propels church everything more. Yeah, and I mean, and and it's not even the amount, right? Because the Bible talks about the woman who just put her two coins exactly. in there, right? Exactly. And and God can do whatever He wants with it. I think I think giving is an act of obedience. Because it's it's what we're supposed to do, right? Everything we have, if you if you're a person of faith and you believe that, everything is a gift. Yeah. Everything we have is a gift, right? None, none of it is uh, done at our own merit. Um, but it's also an act of faith. Philip Yancey 
defines faith as something you do in advance that only makes sense looking back in reverse. Mm. Right. And that, I think that's what giving is, you know, when, when, uh, you know, I'll tell you, there was a time when this missionary came to church and, um, he got in he got up in front of the room, cute little old man, like 70 something years old. And he was talking about his mission and everything he's doing. And this is a guy who our church had supported for like 25 years. And, um, but he also shared how the support that he has in its entirety is a lot less than it used to be, you know? And so he had went and met with his, you know, missions, uh, group that, that kind of like, um, manages him, you know, sponsors him and like helps him get funding and stuff. And he was explaining to them, you know, these, this is what I have. This is my lifestyle. This is my budget. This is all I need, you know? And they were asking him, well, is there anything else you can cut out? You know, and this guy's not living a lavish life. He's driving like a piece of junk. He's probably like, food? Uh. Exactly. His response was, well, the only thing that I could really cut out would be the internet. But that's how I send my emails to everyone, you know, to give them updates. And I sat in the back of the room and I watched this guy and I'm like, God, this poor dude, like, how much could it cost to have his internet? You know, so I asked my dad, I'm like, can you find out from him how much his internet is for the year? I just want to pay for it for the whole year. And, um, and I only tell the story because I made a big mistake. So I'll use it as, as an example. My dad's like, yeah, it's like 600 bucks for the year. I was like, perfect. I wrote a check for 750 bucks, sent it oh. to him. And then like next week, you know, the check hadn't cleared. Two weeks later, check hadn't cleared. A month later, the check hadn't cleared. And I'm like... This guy can't need the money that bad if he still hasn't deposited the check, you know. Right. And back then, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, doing as well as we do now. And so I, I didn't like having to keep the money there in the account for it to clear, right? right? And so finally, after like two months, I was like, you know what? Cancel the check. I canceled the check. Seven hundred fifty bucks. I kid you not. I felt so guilty and so stupid about it. The next day, I'm driving to church. On the freeway, 10 freeway, about to get off at Valley. Boom, my tire blows out. Mm. And I was like, oh, shoot. By the, by the duck farm? <laughs> yeah, right right around that area. Yep, correct. I pull over, my tire blew out, and my rim cracked. Oh, man. I go to the, t- I go to the shop, $742. <laughs> Almost the exact amount of the check I canceled. And I'm like, and I, and I wasn't even mad. I, I kind of laughed about it. And I'm like, yep, I knew it was coming. I knew it. <laughs> and God, God's right like, let me just teach you. Now you got to go fix your crap and you better write another check. It cost me double. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I'm like, there's two places you don't mess around with money. God and the IRS. Those yeah, are two things true. I get right. Yeah, definitely. The uh, I like the part of, of, of you giving and helping that guy. Do you think that as believers, you should watch who you give to and, and maybe know what their ministry is about? Or are you of the belief of, look, I'm going to give it kind of like if you give like 10 bucks to the guy at 7-Eleven, you know, right, he's right. going to go in and buy beer, but right. you're just like, nah, I'm going to bless this guy, whatever he does with it from here on out. Because sometimes I feel like that. I feel not in my church now, but in the past, I'll be like, all right, I'll, I'll bless this guy because I'm going to give it to him. Whatever he decides to do with it, 
<laughs> yeah. is on him, but I'm not. I'm still gonna get the blessing from God because I I gave. But do, I mean, what what what? I don't know. I don't as, know if as, right as a church answer. as a church kid there because I I think about that stuff right. Yeah. I think about like I'll still I I believe I'll still get blessed. Like if I'm gonna give this bum five bucks and I know he's not buying <laughs> a, a chili dog and some of those poppers from Seven Eleven, right? He's gonna buy beer as soon as I leave. Right. And I'm like, well, God's not gonna rip me off from the, from my blessing because I, I blessed sure. this guy. This is what he said he needed. Cool. I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Elevate Ministries. Elevate Ministries is an authentic, passionate, and innovative church in the heart of Orange County, California. They strive to make their services welcoming and encouraging by intentionally engaging you in all senses to stimulate a spiritual hunger. If you're looking for a great church that's on a mission to change the world one person at a time, I encourage you to check them out at www.elevateministries.com and on Instagram at Elevate Ministries. You know, but should you kind of know and maybe, I mean, that's where I think the church messes up, that they're not really transparent in, hey, this goes here, this goes there. I love when they would have like financial meetings. I would think that it was cool because I didn't worry if I knew the pastor and I've been close to church, my church family forever. Right. But and so I, I I know that we're spending it well. I could tell, but I've been in churches where I'm like, yeah, man, this church is paid off. Where is the money going to? It's not the building because the building's thrashed. But you know, like you should know a little bit. Like uh, that's funny. Maybe the investor in you probably goes, yeah, man, that's not a good investment. Well, it's funny because it's it's funny because there's different churches at different stages, right? I think like some churches are in survival mode. So they can't necessarily get up there and go like, hey, last last month we supported Operation Underground Railroad and nine girls got saved from sex trafficking, right? Because right. they're like, they can, cause some churches are just like, hey, last month we paid the electric bill. You guys see that? <laughs> All right, we're solid. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, but then I, I went to a church, which I won't name, but I went to a church where I really love to go. Um, I love sometimes as a worship leader to go to a church where no one knows me and I could just be a part of worship instead of, yeah. you know, so I like to go to churches that have really good worship. Um, and, and then the pastor came up on stage and there's nothing wrong with this, but I'm just giving you perspective of what my friend told me because my friend's a member there and he goes to church there and tithes there regularly. And the pastor comes out to preach in a pair of Yeezys. Yeah. See, and my friend looks and he looks at me and he goes, give me your guys, this church tithing app he's like i'm not putting money to this place no more they don't need the money he's like this dude's wearing a pair of yeezys right during his sermon what there's nothing wrong with it i yeah. mean it's a pair of shoes but i get it though yeah i get it right yeah and so and it, that, it's a visual right right it's definitely a visual i i, I think i asked I'll, t- I'll, I'll say it because he answered it on here i had pastor jay hazelip he passes the sanctuary in, in, in costa mesa right so i said pastor jay do you ever get worried like people questioning you i mean you you, you kind of dress sharp, man. You you look, it, <laughs> you look like you have a nice car. You look good, Pastor Jay. I don't know, you know, you whatever. But do you do you think do you think about that? So he said he said I don't think about it, but I'm very transparent. He goes, we we don't only own our building, but we own a few buildings around our church, and we rent those out. We reinvest the money, and that's what funds the church. And he goes, that's what funds my salary. But we we're not sitting back and just collecting money. Right, and, right, and, and right. not putting to good use. So I said, okay. So I go, I like that. But you're right. I think sometimes, like you see the pastor pull up in a caddy, and the church is like <laughs> beat, right? Then you're, right, right. then you're thinking like, hey, that's when I think the perspective goes out the window. Like, and 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 it's funny because 
people argue the Joel Olstein all the time, right? Right. And I'm thinking like, are the TBN people? And I'm like, do you realize like TBN people like what they did? Like they 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 had a whole network. Like right. like I know it was from giving, <laughs> but they weren't foolish with the money. They actually like built that up and turned right, it around. Right. And then I I go and then like Joel like his dad had a mega church already when he took over. I mean wherever Joel I mean you still got to do something right from there on out after after you took it over from your dad. Right. Right. So I don't know. It's just it's a tricky. It's a tricky thing, but I do think the visual thing is big, especially because of, you know, online, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, people think that probably like Jay's like way over the top, just like everywhere. He's, he's at the game and they, they judge you off of what they see. But I mean, I, I think for a pastor, it's probably double. Well, a thousand percent, probably 10 times the amount. Because when he when he walked out, I was like, oh, dang, nice shoes, you know, and I'm a sneaker guy. <laughs> And then my buddy's like, I'm not giving any money to this place ever again. And I'm like, wow, bro, chill. Like, yeah. What do you want them to wear? Sandals? I, I, I know, yes. <laughs> then it, yeah, that's the thing to it. I, I don't know, man. To me, it's kind of uh, – I tell people all the time. I was like, look, man, whatever. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here – it's not my job. You know, even on, like, the podcast, people want me to have people on here and want me to battle or want me to go, like, like put people on blast and show – and I'm like, that's not my thing, dude. Like, I don't want to do all that. I don't think that's fruitful. It's not It's not gaining nothing for me. Right. There's other podcasts that do that. I'll let them do that. But if this guy is, is, I mean, whatever, man. I mean, if he's looking good, I mean, I like to look good. I mean, 100%. I mean, I, I don't have a great sneaker game. I have decent, but <laughs> I like to wear nice sneakers. Yeah, I agree. So let me, let me ask you this, man. Uh, what's the biggest problem with people and money? I know there's a lot, but what what is the biggest thing? What is the biggest problem? Do they not know how to use money? Nobody taught them? Or what, what would you say would be like the biggest problem that you see all the time? I think it's grounded in a lack of education. Um, if you look at If you look at the school system, for example, money is the only thing not taught. They teach everything. California at one point voted... Uh, do we want to teach sex education or financial education? And we, we, we chose sex education. I think everyone's pretty good at sex already, but that's yeah, what we yeah, chose. Yeah, you don't need to figure it out, right? right. <laughs> My wife, we're talking about that on the last podcast. <laughs> yeah, we chose sex education. Like, it, it's amazing to me because I have clients that are, some of these guys make $50 million a year, and then I've got clients that they make fifty grand a year, and they're, they're just everyday working people. But the funny part is, is that money is not taught anywhere. So if you think back of everything you know about money, and then you go, okay, where did I learn it? You know, you, you where yeah. do you learn? Think about it for you. Where everything you know about money, where would you, what would you say you've learned it from? I've learned it from either a bad investment. Okay, I've learned it from either. Having to owe the IRS money. Okay. <laughs> so that, that, nobody, we talked about this last thing. Nobody taught us mm-hmm. anything about money. Yep. You know what I mean? I wish this, and it would, it could be something minor, you know, save, mm-hmm. save. Yeah. Just save. save. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, interest rate. Do you really know what an interest rate? No, nah, right. I want that car. Right. Well, what's the, what's the monthly payment? Oh, I could afford that. No problem. Yep. And then you, and then now I look back and I was like, I really paid that much for that car by the end of that loan. Right. Like that was ridiculous. Right. 
So stuff like that. So I would say I learned from my mistakes. From your mistakes. Which is awful. And that's where most people learn. They, they, yeah. they go, oh, I learned it from my parents. Okay. What if your parents knew nothing about money? What if your parents were broke? Then what? Okay, well, I learned, uh, I learned from, yeah, my, my mistakes, own life experiences. Money's not taught. So, so what happens is, is you have someone who, because just imagine if like the first day of Ash's senior year in high school, someone came in and said, hey, in eight months, nine months, you guys are going to graduate. You're going to be adults. Some of you are going to go to college. Some of you are going to are gonna get married. Some of you are going to have kids. Some of you are going to start businesses. Some of you are going to go get a job. No matter what you do, there are basic things you need to know about your money in order to not repeat the cycle of poverty that came from the family you're a part of, right? And so here's the things we're going to teach you this year. We're going to teach you how your retirement plan works so you understand your 401k, 403b, 457, deferred comp, pension, whatever. We're going to teach you the ins and outs, when you can touch it, how it works, how much you're paying in fees, and how taxes work. We're going to teach you how to put your kids through college someday. Because all your parents are like, you're going to college whether you like it or not. But they didn't plan for it 20 years ago in order to put you there. So now they're forcing $100,000 of student loans down your throat because they believe you're supposed to go to college. Even though they didn't plan for it. Because I sit with parents and they're like, well, my kid's going to college. I'm like, how are they going to pay for it? Well, I don't know. They're going to figure it out. I'm like, if you're going to force it on them, then you should have planned for it 20 years sooner. Yeah. You know? So we're going to teach you how to put your kids through college. We're going to teach you um, how the stock market works. You know, just the basics so you understand what you should be in and what you shouldn't. Like, we're going to teach you how to budget. You know, basic things like that. Life insurance. Life insurance. Oh, my God. You know, credit cards. That's horrible. You know, but it's credit not car- taught. Credit cards was was a bad one for us early. Oh, I bet. Could, yeah. Young family, one working person. So every emergency, car breaks, blown out tire with a busted rim. That straight to the, the credit card. Yeah. Yep. Straight to the credit card. None of this is taught. Life insurance is the the lady I sat with last night. She, we're gonna take a half a million dollars. We're gonna put it into the account, turn it into a pension. She'll never have to work a day in her life, ever again. She's got an eighteen-year-old son, a seventeen-year-old daughter. And a 15-year-old with autism. So they, say, they got a lot of living to go. Right? Three kids. One with special needs. Single mom. She's a nurse at City of Hope. And her husband made really good money. He was a cartoonist. Won, won a bunch of television awards. He's worked on King of the Hill. You, you name it. Right? Big big, big deal. Um, but didn't have a lot. They had a half a million. That was it. We're going to take the half a million, turn it into pension. She'll never have to work a day in her life. And she tells me, can you come back again on Friday? I don't want to sign anything. I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll come back as many times as you want. Could I ask you why? She said, I feel guilty cashing the check. Mm. I feel like it's blood money almost. She's like, I feel guilty. That's middle class, this way of thinking. And so I had to explain to her, hey, I totally get it. That's normal. You, you're, you're, that's, a, that's a righteous feeling, right? That's a yeah. good thing. I get it. But that's because you grew up broke. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Life insurance is the difference between middle America and wealthy America. Every time the rich die, they get richer. Every time middle class die or the poor die, they get poorer. And it's this it's that thinking right there. Life insurance is the last gift that someone leaves to their family and the people they love and care about after they're already gone. Yeah. The best thing your husband could have ever done for you was have that in place. 
because the opposite would mean you have to work the rest of your life. Yeah. And so I, I had to reshape her thinking, but that's the thing with middle America is they're not taught money. And so, so that's the foundation of it. And then past that would be the fact that, you know, um, bad spending habits, right? Just the basics of like, Hey, we should take 10% of every check and put it towards this. You know, people buy into their 401k. They think it's, they think it's a good thing for retirement. It's the worst place you could put your money for retirement. Mm. It makes no sense, no matter what, if you just get a basic education on it to dump money into that thing past what your employer matches you. If they give you three and you put in 10, you're making a 7% mistake every paycheck. Wow. But people don't know this stuff because it's not taught. And so I would say just poor money management. And then the other one would be, um, are, are you familiar at all with the phrase lifestyle creep? No. So lifestyle creep is more common in business than it is, I would say, as an employee. Because as an employee, your income is pretty fixed. In most cases, it's not constantly going up. But lifestyle creep is where I continue to make more money. But as I continue to make more money, my lifestyle continues to creep up and improve. So the reality is, is no matter how much money I make, I'm always broke. You know, and yeah. versus it's, a, it's that middle class thinking of make money, spend money, make money, spend money. I used to have it. I used to go, hey, dad, I'm going to get paid on Friday. My check will be like 1100 bucks. You know, like back when I was working in and out or whatever in high school. Uh, can I borrow 500 bucks? Because I'm going to want to go buy this today. And then on Friday when I get paid, I'll give you my, my 500 bucks back. So I was spending my money before I even had it. Wow. Like what now I look back, I was like, God, that was stupid. But I was a kid. You know, I didn't know any better. Yeah. But it's that lifestyle creep where I, if you make a hundred grand a year and spend a hundred grand a year, you're still broke. And most people who make a hundred grand a year spend 130. Yeah. Because they, they got credit cards and interest rates on their house and their car and all this stuff. You're still broke. You can make a million a year. And if you spend a million a year, you're still broke. And so it doesn't matter how much money you make. It, what really matters is wealthy people make money and they use it as an asset and they put it in places to make them more money. The, the dollar is just a soldier. So if I got a, if I got a hundred thousand soldiers that could go out and collect more soldiers, that's that's my money. I made more money in just an in interest on investments of just money sitting somewhere last year than most people making a salary at their job. But the reality is, is that if I could get my money to make me money versus my money to go collect me more liabilities, right, which is debt, that's the difference. And so you fast forward ten years down the road, man. <sighs> 10 years you could be done man yeah i think uh yeah the knowledge knowing how to use it is the, is the biggest thing yep. i i think uh you know my thing on life insurance was big because you know uh you see people die and then you see especially online right and right. then what ha- what do they put up on right go after fund that? Me. a go fund me yep and i would go to the go fund me and if you had a lot of good friends you would get you would get 30k that on on a good for sure good friends right good family and you get enough and then you would get some people and it was like you go to the page after a few days and it's like 750 bucks yep and to bury somebody decently 15 20,000 dollars i mean that's that's pretty low you're probably cremating and then taking the ashes to your house yep yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like it's sad so it was. It would be really sad, and I, and I told my wife like, yeah, this is something that I gotta get. I don't yep. want to leave you guys with not even no money to bury me. Right. Like that's sad. 
Yep. And then there was there was a lot of death uh, amongst fa- family and uh, amongst men that that left their wives. Like you said, they, they they leave their wives, and a lot some of them left them well and had good pensions and good good savings and good stuff. But some of them were like, it's a struggle. Like I have to go back to work now. Yeah. And it's I mean after not working terrible. for years, which is 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 rough. And and sometimes sometimes it's just to go back to work for maybe benefits because right. maybe they're not old enough to collect medical or whatever. Right. Right. So it was, that was like scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, man, I'm like, that's cold because that's like the, the, the last thing you want to leave with. You're leaving with the heartache, but now with the financial heartache. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that financial heartache carries on forever. I mean, what happens with, with middle-class people usually when someone dies, the, they, this was a two household income. Now let's just say they let's say they did well. They they both made an average of eighty thousand a year or whatever, which is better than most. So this house is bringing in one hundred and sixty a year. They're in a thirty percent tax bracket, so they're bringing home after taxes about eight thousand dollars a month between the two of them. And now one of them's gone. Well, that family was probably living an eight thousand dollar a month lifestyle, you know. Yeah. And so now one's gone. They only have the life insurance they get at their job five times their salary or ten times their salary or whatever, if that. You know, or they bought into, uh, I don't even want to say his name, but they bought into this oh, Christian financial guy. Okay, yeah. we, okay, let's talk about that after. <laughs> get your point, and then I'm going to talk about that and after. And who tells them, like, oh, no one's supposed to get wealthy from life insurance. Like, you're not supposed to make a profit off life insurance. It should okay. just be enough to pay off your house, which is BS, man. <laughs> it's horrible advice. It's, it's, it's philosophical, right? There's no right or wrong answer. But... I, I've watched families and I have clients of families who have died with life insurance, with a little bit of life insurance, and with a lot of life insurance. And the next 20 years of each family's life is very different. Mm. You know, the, if, if someone dies and they get the right amount of life insurance, right? So the right amount of life insurance is like 30 times your annual salary. That's ideal. People go, well, why, why that? Why 20 to 30 times? Well, because I could take, let's say you have 20 times. Let's say you make 100 grand a year, and we'd use 20 times your salary, at least. 20 times your salary is 2 million. You die tomorrow. I could take 2 million. I could put it in an account. I could guarantee your wife a 5% return every single year, guaranteed for the rest of her life. 5% of 2 million is 100,000. She can live off that. So now she's got your salary for the next 40 years. Yeah. Well, if I, if now if I buy into this other philosophy, where we owed three hundred and eighty thousand on the house, we have four hundred thousand. You die, sure. We pay off the house, but now what? You still have now. Mom's got to go back to work. You still have the taxes on the house. You got taxes. You, you got car payments. You, you got utilities. Medical. You got kids' college. You got medical. You got all this stuff. Yeah. You, you got to go right back to work. So it's just like it's crazy, man. People do it. They do it wrong though. Okay, but they so do it wrong on accident. They just don't know any better. And I, by the way, my first five years of my career was in the Mexican market the mexican community where i i cannot tell you the amount of times someone sat across from me and said well i'm not leaving sancho shit (laughs) right i got that like four thousand times my first five years of my career and then it was reshaping the thinking of hold on a second that's that's not what this is about well i i think that comes from and and this is what i want to ask too because i think it comes from pride yeah you you say that out of pride like i'm not leaving nothing because you don't want to sound dumb Right. And I think when I, I think for a lot of people out there to go to a financial guy, 
it's intimidating because you're gonna you're gonna have to <laughs> you're gonna have to face reality like hey right. this is not good this is not good this is not good you're gonna have to reshape it and so I think it's it's a little bit embarrassing yep. to go and lay everything out for somebody that you're like okay like this guy's just gonna make me look dumb I mean Jay's pull, sure. Jay's pulling up in the G wagon and he's gonna, <laughs> and he's and he's gonna give me advice I'm gonna feel like an idiot. That, uh, I agree a thousand percent. That's that is probably where a lot of the belief comes from. Also, the traditional image of a financial planner is a sixty-five-year-old white guy with gray hair who looks like he would be president <laughs> of the United States, right? Like when I walked in that client's house the other day, they because I don't go, I don't really go sit with clients very much anymore. But this is a lady who's been my client since the beginning of my career, and so when I went in, she had her brother there or her brother-in-law. And sister, just so she could kind of get like some support because she's still in the grieving process. Um, and as soon as I walked in, he turns around and he goes, "Well, you are not what I was expecting." And I said, "I know you're expecting some old white guy with gray hair." <laughs> and and he goes, "That's exactly what I was expecting." <laughs> but so that the traditional image of finance also is very intimidating, I think, and and prejudice in a lot of ways. Financial institutions of a high quality also don't cater to middle America. They cater to the rich. They're, they're chasing around, you know, your Kim Kardashian and your, your LeBron James, not your neighbor next door. Right. And, and they also don't market to anyone making less than a half a million dollars a year. And so you think of, I'm going to go walk into an Edward Jones office, or I'm going to go walk into a Smith Barney or a Charles Schwab. Well, you're right. They're not going to take you as a client. If you're not 1.5 million liquid, right? investable assets. It's not so that, worth it. Yeah. So my mom and dad never had that opportunity, you know, and that's, that's why, that's really why I love what I do back to the core in the beginning of my career is being able to take the education to people that will never get it elsewhere. How do you know what to look for? In what? In, when you go to a financial advisor, what's your, oh. what's, what's your, cause it, it's scary and you don't know what, if, is this going to work? This yeah, guy, this guy sure. just could, bounce and i don't ever see him again and my money loses money i think if i was gonna go knowing what i know now if i was gonna go find a financial advisor and i wasn't in the industry um the first thing is uh going to someone who's non-captive so in the industry there's what's called a captive agent and a non-captive agent captive means i work for one specific institution so if we were to go to the sports world just as an example if i walk in a nike store they're gonna sell me nike that's it. No Adidas, no Under Armour, nothing you. else. So if I walk into a captive office, so for example, let's say I'm, I'm trying to buy life insurance and I walk into AAA. Great company. AAA is going to sell me AAA though. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. That's it. So they're, they're not going to do my homework. Right. Someone's going to sit there who's getting paid a commission go, yeah, AAA, boom, all the way. Now, I could probably, and I know factually, get a much better product somewhere else. But I walked into AAA office, and I trust AAA because they do my car insurance. And when I get a flat tire, they're the ones who come rescue me. <laughs> so I assume everything's great. It's a good policy. If I die, they pay. But is it the best? Probably not. There's a lot of types of life insurance. There's a lot of different types that do different things. Um, most people, if they buy into that other philosophy, they buy term. Okay, well, my mom had term when she was 19. My mom and dad got married in 19. They had term. My mom and dad were my first clients. They had term for 25 years. And when I sat down with them, I said, Mom, could I ask you why you bought term? 
oh, you know, we got it when we first got married. I said, yeah, but if you're not dead in five years, you lost all your money. Mm. What do you mean? Uh, no, I have it forever. No, mom, you don't have it forever. It's good for 30 years. That's it. You know, and wow. she, she didn't know that. So you people don't know. So you go to a captive agent. They sell you one thing. So the first thing would be to go to a non-captive agent. Someone who, um, like myself, as an example, I'm licensed with the top 200 firms in the industry. So, so you're you know, able to more cater towards the actual client and exactly. their needs. So a non-captive agent represents the client, not a company. It's already prepackaged. Here you go. Yeah, I work for the client. So I go, got all it. right, Dave, what do you want? You're like, well, got Jay, it. I got life insurance. Okay, well, how do you, do you have the right amount? Do you have the right type? Have you, when's the last time you did a review on it? Like, is your agent sitting with you every year? Like, the industry changes constantly. So what do you have now? Like, what you have might have been good back then, but what do you have now? Um, well, no, I haven't done it. Have, I have, don't know the answer to any of those questions. Yeah. Okay, well, let's sit down and look. You know, what's your goal? If you're If you're gone tomorrow, what do you want left for your wife? What do you want left for your kids? Okay. Based on everything you just told me, this is what you need. Now let's look at what you have, you know, and then we look at what, what the client has. And then in a lot of cases, the client goes, well, you know, like let's pretend Cam was 12 and Ash was, I don't know, what, 14, 15, whatever. I'm not sure. The she age looks difference. 14. Okay. She does. <laughs> so let's pretend then, then you're like, well, uh, I want to have something for them. So in 10, 15 years, they got some liquid cash and if they want to start a business, they can or whatever. So then we may... A good agent, a non-captive agent who represents the client and has licensing contracts with the entire industry might go, well, here's here's a product from Prudential. Here's a product from Transamerica. Here's three products from Nationwide. And now you have an actual portfolio. I always ask every client, did you get educated on how to purchase your life insurance by your agent or did you just get sold something? Sold. Sold. Yeah. That's, the, that, that's huge. I, that, it makes sense to me. It makes sense. Okay, so we mentioned the guy. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Right? It, it, he, I mean, it's almost like a thing now for yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. to post on their story. And I did, did the Dave Ramsey program. And financial debt, Peace University. And yeah, Financial Peace, I'm debt-free. What's the biggest problem with that? I, I you know, I, I applaud those people. Hey, they're, they're debt-free now. You know, yeah. I don't know what they did to be debt free. <laughs> Maybe they lived in their mom's hot basement for five years. <laughs> and that's how they did it. Cause I think that's part of his advice, right? Whatever you got to do. If you could go back to mom's house, go back to mom's yeah, house. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so what, what's, what's the biggest problem with that whole, I, I, I mean, cause to me, I tell people, look, he's selling something. 100%. If he's selling something and he's telling you to buy it, it I mean, isn't that already like going against his own rules a little bit? Yeah, that I I would say so. First of all, for the debt, for the credit card debt, he uses a philosophy that's coined as a snowball effect, right? The biggest one first. Pay the biggest yeah. one first. Okay. Double up. Blah blah blah. Get rid of. Is it. that wrong? No, it's great advice. Okay. Okay. His his debt advice on don't file bankruptcy, don't con, don't consolidate. Like I agree with all that. Um, that's good advice. The thing is about Dave. Is that so? Dave's a Christian dude, right? So, or at least he, he claims to be a Christian dude. I can't speak on on it or not, but he claims to be a Christian dude. He's marketed as a Christian dude. So he got into all the churches, right? So the churches teach Financial Peace University, which is good. It, it teach you how to get out of credit card debt. The Dave's marketing 
you nailed it. He's he's selling finance one oh like I wouldn't even call one oh one, like finance one hundred to <laughs> targeted specifically to broke and middle America. So he's selling an idea, a concept to broke and middle he's America. He's got that niche down. Right. And he's the only one doing it. Yeah. Right. Just like I said, no financial firm's doing it. Therefore, Christian guy, old white grandpa. You know, yeah. he'll answer your phone call if you call in. Like, I got your back. Like, he's a, he's you know Captain Save a Ho to Middle America, right? <laughs> that's that's Dave Ramsey, and so but but I mean, which is good because a lot of people get out of credit card debt. Where I disagree with him is everything past that when he says buy term, put the rest in a Roth IRA, or buy term, put the rest in a mutual fund. That's where I disagree. His whole philosophy of no one gets wealthy. You're not supposed to get wealthy on life insurance. If your husband dies. He's not supposed to leave you set for the rest of your life. Like I completely one million. Why does he say that? Then? I don't know. What I don't it? get it. I mean, it just just hearing that doesn't make sense. He sells it as a moral flaw. If you're doing that, it's wrong. You're not. That's not what life insurance is designed for. But I will tell you, as someone who's been in the industry for a long time now, and we've paid out a lot of death benefits, um, my only regret every time is we didn't do a bigger policy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's every time. I mean, I cuz it's so such a small amount, right? Every 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 month it's like it doesn't make sense. You don't even yeah. see it. You pay Netflix, you don't see that 12.99. Oh, I did see the 12.99. I didn't see the 9.99. <laughs> I didn't see the 9.99 for for years, right? Right. And then, you know, I mean, it's it's that I mean, simple. Yeah, life insurance is the it's the only thing in the in the world that I could pay. Let's just pretend I am getting a term policy, right? Because it's, term is the the lowest uh, cost of a monthly premium. So let's say I'm 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 25 years old or I'm 55 years old, whatever. Either way, and I'm like, give me, I want two million dollars life insurance. I get a two million dollar term life insurance policy for less than a couple hundred bucks a month. It's the only thing that I pay two hundred dollars a month. If I die, they write a check to my family for two million, literally tomorrow. Tomorrow, I don't have to it's have it crazy. for a certain amount of time. I don't have to pay into it for X Y Z amount of days before I die. Nothing. I pay two two hundred bucks. They approve me. My policy is active. I kick the bucket two days from now. They write a check for two million dollars to my family, and then in in the IRS code. There's Internal Revenue Code 7702, which defines all life insurance as a replacement for a loss, just like car insurance. So if I'm dri- if, if Cam's driving his Toyota and someone hits him, and they go, all right, your your Tacoma is worth this much money. Here's a check. He's gonna take that check, deposit it, and he's never gonna have to pay taxes on that money. Same thing on home insurance. If they say your house was worth seven hundred, it burned down. Here's a check for seven hundred thousand. You deposit they can't it. Can't touch it. Zero taxes. Life insurance is the same thing. I'm going to take that $2 million check, deposit it in the bank, and it's not even considered income. It's considered replacement for a loss. So it's dollar for dollar, $2 million. And when I go to the IRS, I owe nothing. And so for someone to say, well, you shouldn't, you should only get, you know, like mortgage insurance. You know, how much do you owe on your house? 500000 Okay, we're going to get you a mortgage protection insurance Every year, it goes down because you owe less on the house. Like it's just such a scam. 
It's such a scam. I'm like, I don't need freaking mortgage insurance. Slap me with a $5 million life insurance policy and I'm set. Yeah. Is there ever a time when you you would tell somebody it's too late? Oh, only if you can't qualify. What do you mean qualify? So life insurance is a thing where you... No, no, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't answer. Or which I, part? Like to change your the way you use your money. No, never. It's never too late. Never so, too late. So, so, so a client comes to you, let's say they're almost 60 years old. And they say, "Hey, this is I, I'm in good shape. I can I'm working. I want to work till I can't work no more. I love working. This is how much I make." Uh, and they're maybe they look a little upside down for you, mm-hmm. you know, on a lot of things. What what is there's never too never too late to make some changes there. No, I actually got a text today from someone who I believe is, I want to say around sixty, sixty man, maybe around sixty five. Um. And said, hey, I've got $120,000. Should I put it into this account? They've been a client of mine for a while. Or should I put it over here? You know, and I'm like, well, my first question is always, what's the goal? What do you want to, yeah. What do you want to do? That's good. Do you want to, do you want to put it in? Are you trying to put in 120 and then pull out 200,000 next year? Like, is is that what you're trying to do? And then you're going to go buy a Ferrari? Or are you trying to put it in there and not touch it for the next 10 years? Are you trying to put it in there and then in five years start using it as an income to supplement your retirement and stack on top of your social security or what's your goal? You know, and if you could identify the client's goal, man, at 60 years old, you know, people think maybe 60 is too old, you know, to start doing something. But Warren Buffett made 90% of all his wealth after 60 years old. Crazy. You know, that, that dude was an ordinary dude in his 50s. You know, and after 60 years old, the dude became... Warren Buffett, you know, and so a lot of times people think, you know, is it too late? It's never too late. Um, and it's, it's also never too late if you've got family that you care about that you want to leave a legacy behind for. Yeah. Um, which I think is the goal. You know, the goal is I always ask everyone, do you have a legacy plan? I don't even know what that is. Well, do you have anyone you love and care about that? If you were gone tomorrow, you'd want them taken care of. Yeah, of course. Okay, so that would be the legacy. The legacy is what you leave. I always ask people, what does legacy mean to you? Or what does generational wealth mean to you? Mm. They go, generational wealth means my... Usually what they say is like my kids, kids, kids are taken care of. Okay, so let's pretend you're gone tomorrow. What did your generational wealth legacy look like? I, shoot, I ain't leaving nothing. Okay. Are you cool with that? Because that's what makes middle class middle class, is they die every day and leave nothing. A couple pairs of Jordans, a fake Louis Vuitton bag, and that's it. You know, (laughs) so the reality is, is like, is it too late to get my crap together? No, it's never too late. And then, especially when you're older, is planning for, even for yourself, we, we call it asset protection. Right, let's say I got a million dollar four hundred one k, million dollar four hundred one k. I've seen, I've seen firsthand with clients that didn't prepare for it, a million dollars gone in two years, just in healthcare. When you get yeah, long term care, right? Yeah. Long term care, not having. So we do long term care planning, estate planning, a will, a trust. The goal with your money, in 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 summary, when I sit with a client, we do specialized wealth planning and legacy planning. The goal especially for for anybody, but it, it really is very common amongst wealthy. 
is to become what I call to become financially bulletproof. You come sue me, you ain't getting nothing. Mm. On paper, I am broke, and on paper, I own nothing. Everything's in the trust. I own nothing. You know, I th- and that's the goal. I I, th- I think uh, the biggest thing for me with you and what makes you believable is that you came from nothing. Yeah, that's true. And you're a believer, and 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 I think the when I talk to you about this stuff, I think the thing is is your dad your dad was broke. You've yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah. You live that. You 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 like what problem a client comes to you with, and you're like, yeah, we had that problem in my family. <laughs> <laughs> or we went through that. Or we know what that is. Or we ha- we used to think like that. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Did your dad turn it around? So here's the funny thing. My dad, because my dad is the one who introduced me to the to the broker. Um, I ended up. Thankfully, I have a coach in business. His name is Dan Charlier. Um, and then my mentor in business is a gentleman most people know named Ed Milet. So, you know, you, are you familiar with Ed Milet? No. no. He's got one of the number one podcasts in the country. Really? Yeah, very good with good friends of Joe Rogan and okay. the whole shebang. So you, you've probably seen him on social media if you look him up. So these guys did us a solid. But because my dad got licensed and my dad's the one who introduced me to our industry. My dad actually overrides my entire company. Nice. So my dad's uh, full-time in ministry, does nothing really in business, just keeps his license active. And he he um, he's technically my broker. <laughs> so they did that <laughs> so as a gift. Cool. So, so he overrides my whole company about 17%, which equals about half a million dollars a year. I mean, what a, what a blessing... That you get to give back to your dad that. Parents are and, retired. And, and not only that, but that a guy that was faithful in ministry all those years gets to be like, okay, God, I mean, God rewarded his son and was in turn be able to bless him back. Yeah, man. About 30 to 40 grand a month just to wake up. <laughs> it's been a, it's literally um, the best thing that's ever happened and it and to me and and that was uh and i'm so i'm forever grateful for my coach because my coach in business structured it that way on purpose he didn't have to do that um and so it's changed my whole family's my whole family's life man it's been so sick man yeah, I'm very very grateful for that yeah that's definitely uh what a blessing let yeah. me ask you this you do a lot of stuff with with nba players got a lot of nba clients legit clients how did you land your first client? So the first one came as a referral. Um, there was a lady working with me at the time uh, named Jen. Jen was a photographer on the side. She had a friend, uh, a guy named Dave, actually, Dave Dawson, who uh, went to Biola. She went and shot photography for his birthday party. Dave was doing very well, um, very connected in the sports world. Uh, played, had some time in the NFL, broke his ankle, lost his career. But, um, so she introduced me to him. She was like, Hey coach, I want you to, I want, I want to introduce you to my friend Dave. Like this is a big deal. You know, uh, maybe you could help me and get me some referrals and blah, blah, blah. So I met him. Um, and then he introduced me to a friend of his named Rob, Rob Paulele, uh, Polynesian guy who played football at USC. And now he is the. Kind of like the bridge 
for a lot of um, USC's athletes going from college world to NFL. Uh, through him, got a couple referrals. He did a lot of stuff in Utah with, with the Jazz, um, which became one of my very first referrals, was nice. an NBA player who was playing in, in Utah at the time. And then once you get one, man, you get you get it all. So so it's very important that you have some integrity, that you don't for sure burn people, and that for sure. what you're saying actually works. Yeah, in, in our industry especially, and I would say in any industry, um, especially in today's world with with uh, social media, Yelp, all of these things that exist, we, we are in an information world now where something instantly goes viral. Um, your uh, your ability to do the right thing every time is really the only thing we've, that we've got. I mean, in today's world, it's your name. You got your name and that's it. That's it. That's, that's no. the truth. The second that's gone, man, it's, it's it. So you're going. You you told me before we started. You, you you're going to the the NBA draft. This yeah. Week. So the draft's on Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So explain to everybody how a guy gets signed and gets millions of dollars. <laughs> well, and, 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 and ends up broke. That's you know that's, sometimes before the, the end of his NBA career. That's the thing, man. It's less. It, it happens less now. I was going to say that. I was going to say that it happens a lot less now. Right. I, I think now, like you said, the information that we can mm-hmm. find is a lot more accessible, and, right. and and you're able to ask a little bit more questions and get to know people and do all that stuff and connect faster. But it used to, it, it, it still happens. Yeah, it's still no oh, for sure. It still happens, and 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 every guy's career is not the same length, right? So you got someone like Braun who's who's been balling forever, and this guy will continue to make money. But he's a businessman, though. Yeah. Right? Kobe was a businessman. Shaq, arguably, probably one of the best, the best. businessmen yeah. to ever do it. And if you if you, if you you look, if you dive into Shaq's past, you find interviews and stuff where he talks about the only reason he's in the position he is now is because he had a mentor who said, bro, what are you doing? You are blowing it. Like, you're blowing everything. You need to get your crap together quick or you're going to go broke like everybody else. Right. You know, so he did. He, he ended up actually going back. Shaq got his master's degree, then got his doctorate. So he's actually Dr. Shaquille O'Neal, right? And people people thought, oh, it's an honorary doctorate. No, it's a real doctorate. Yeah, he's legit. In fact, when he was getting his master's, he wanted to do – he went to an online course, right, an online school, but he wanted to take the classes in person. And they told him, well, we can't do that for you, Shaq. <laughs> like, sorry, bro, we can't do that. We could only do in person if you have 12 or more people. So Shaq was like, well, I don't want to learn online. I want to learn in, in a classroom. So he paid for 12 of his friends to get their master's degree so that he could go in person. So they all crazy went together. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, one of the greatest stories ever. Yeah. But um, honest to God, man, here, here's the reason why most athletes go broke. Most athletes... Not so much in, not as much in basketball. In football, yes. Not as much in basketball and, and a lot. Do you think of, it's in football more because it's the, the, their career is shorter? Well. The average, it's like four years. In baseball, right? it's very rare. Because they, they can play forever in baseball. Most, they, and the difference is, is a lot of guys playing football and some guys playing basketball, they all come from the hood in a lot of cases. These are, mm. sports is there, in a lot of cases, 
I don't want to stereotype, but in a lot of cases, but it's facts. So. Sports is their only way out. Yes, it's their way out of the hood. So the second they they make it, it's it, basketball is basketball is a guaranteed contract, right? Baseball is a guaranteed yep. contract. Football, they need to fix it. I don't know. I don't think they ever will. But football is the only sport where that's it's not big, guaranteed. That's the man. biggest scam because you Dude, have the biggest chance sucks. of getting injured. And that's why it's football. not guaranteed, right? Yeah. They're like, you know, that's why you see guys it's are like, bro, scam. throw me the ball. I need one more catch to get my bonus, yeah. you know? And so, um, but the, the reason why is it these, a lot of these athletes, man, like they, they go their whole life to make it. And the second they make it, they go back and they take care of mom, right? So mom gets a mansion, dad gets a mansion, grandma gets a mansion, you know, grandpa gets his Rolls Royce and they spend all this and money. And the posse. It's and then they to. got their posse, right? Yeah. And then they got a bunch of old white dudes in suits and ties breathing down their necks, their managers, their agent, the guys all try, trying to sign them. It's like when a guy first signs, they sit down in a room and someone sells them a 401k. You know, and, and but the reality is is that everyone has a financial vested interest in everything they're setting up for all these guys because they're all getting a piece of the pie. Right. They, everyone wants to put their hand in the pocket in the pocket and in the jar and in the money bag. And so, plus these guys, they, they never learned anything about money. They're sitting there going, like, hell yeah, I won't go buy my G-Wagon. You know, yeah. and that's the first thing they're going to do. And so they're not thinking about saving money, and they sure as heck ain't paying attention to the, some 90-year-old white dude's 401k presentation. <laughs> and then before you know it, you look at some of these guys that, you know, like Jaw, who get, they get caught up in the wrong crowd. Yeah. They got a rough past, and they just – Wrong associations, man, and just you, before you know it, you screw everything up. Yeah, uh, rugs, mm-hmm. Raiders, mm-hmm. perfect. I yep. mean, just screwed everything up. How how much of a shock is it to these guys when they get those for that first check? I mean, I, I mean, the average it's, guy like me probably can't fathom that, but you've seen it. What it's is mind blowing? I mean, you get all those zeros and you don't realize. I mean, Shaq was one of them. He said that he, that he went and bought like two cars, and then he realized he was negative on. <laughs> he overdrafted. He, like, yeah, he his overdrafted account. his account <laughs> after his first check, and he was like, "Oh my god!" They're like, "Yeah, you didn't have enough money." Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's a crazy story. But I mean, for a guy like an average guy, what what do we not realize? Like, what does that do to a guy that came from nothing? The the problem is, is it's the same thing as when you hit the lottery. You yeah. know, you you have someone who's. Uh, financial and personal development identity is just not there, right? At the end of the day, this dude's a basketball player. He's one of the best in the world, but he's just a basketball player. You know, he probably didn't really pay attention in a lot of cases while he was in college. You know, a lot of his teachers just passed him because he was the all-star. Yeah. Someone else took his test for him in a lot of cases. This is all real stuff. This is exactly what happens. Some of them, some of them know. A lot of them, they, they go and... Like, I got a lot of respect for guys that it's just risky. But the ones who finish, like, for example, if you watch women's basketball, they don't leave college early. Right. Because they know they ain't going to make no money in the WNBA. The highest player, the highest paid player in the NBA right now is, is, is Curry, $48 million for a year. The highest paid women's basketball player in the whole WNBA, you know how much it is? Take a guess. One and a half. $212,000. Oh. That's it. I was thinking like 1.2 or something. Nope. The Denver Nuggets mascot makes three times the salary as the top played WNBA player. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 
with the average WNBA player making sixty two thousand five hundred bucks a year. You mean the lion or the cougar? What is the it? Nuggets. What, what is no, it? It's a lion. Yeah, Some I think sort. it's a lion. Yeah, the one that McGregor See, I, knocked out. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, <laughs> I seen that dude. That he dude was, literally went to the hospital. Yeah, I think he was. He was on something, man. He was going ham on that. On that. <laughs> he gave him one more too, when he was already you on. You see the that, Kim? Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Full left hook. But so so I say it to say that women they don't leave. Like if you're if you're the top dog at Stanford or UConn, they stay and finish their degree because they know they they're going to have to have their degree yeah. probably to go get a career after. Where the guys in the NBA, they one or two years in college and they're out. Yeah, if that now, if yeah. that right, or they sit out like Melo and they go play overseas for a year and then they come yeah. they come back and get drafted. So that a lot of these guys they just they don't. They have no financial education. They have no financial background. They haven't done a lot of self development. They haven't worked on themselves. You know, they they come from nothing, and they were one of the best basketball players in the country or in the world. But they were probably, in a lot of cases, they were broke just an hour before they signed that contract. Oh yeah, you know, and so you, it's like someone hitting the lotto, man. Yeah, they had to borrow money to get that suit, and then they exactly, exactly, and then everyone. And their mama's like asking for a handout, you know. So and what do you tell them? What do you say? You got to get good with your money. You you need to under like I got one client who's a rapper, and this guy doesn't even carry a debit card. He can't go to the store and make a purchase without his manager. And I tell him, I'm like, bro, I remember sitting at in downtown LA with another one of my agents, and we're sitting with this guy. And he's explaining this to us, and I said, listen, if we're going to do anything together, the first thing we're going to do is we need to get you to care enough about understanding your own money so that we can lay a foundation for you to do well financially because you don't even care enough to pay attention. You just say, oh, I got people for that. That's how you get taken advantage of. That's how you end up with nothing. All these people got your debit card, and you don't even have your own debit card. You can't go to CVS right now and and buy – a water, you don't even have a way to pay, and that's how. And that, by the way, that's how. That's how managers and all these guys they keep people in this box, right? Like you're just the stupid dude from the hood, who, yeah. who made it with one song, and we're gonna keep you the stupid dude from the hood. You don't need to know. You don't need to know any of this stuff. You don't need to worry about this stuff. We got it. Like that's what you have us for. And like no, bro. So I always say, look, you need to get good with your money. You shouldn't have to be able to depend on anybody. Oh man, that's crazy, man! I I, I didn't even think about the rapper that's carrying a hundred thousand yeah, dollars of cash worse, in his pocket. Worse than the athlete. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and their windows probably it's pretty small unless you're if you unless you have bangers in your Nas and you have a thirty year history of of hits. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these rappers; they're on the the old timers tour now and trying yep. to just barely survive and getting a residency in Vegas. That's, yeah. That's how you know your career is <laughs> over, bro. <laughs> for uh, Donnie and Marie. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, is that, uh, is that if someone gets, that's why now there's like, they're, they're, they're business, business athletes, you know, like you look like a, a yeah. Jokic, Jokic don't give a crap about the NBA. This is something he just does in the off season. Yeah. The NBA is, he just wants to go home and, watch horse races where these guys the horses like have training wheels it's the craziest thing but that's like the nba is just a little side thing he's doing you look at jay-z jay-z is not a rapper jay-z is a businessman yeah music was just his platform 
That's why Jay Z's worth so much money. That's why the dude's a billionaire. The music was his platform. He's also not stupid. So he married Beyonce, a- another businesswoman. Yeah. You know, and so the two of them there, music is a platform. Music is what makes them money. Music is what they did to get where they're at. But they're they're entrepreneurs, you know, and they've worked a lot on themselves. These guys, these are guys. Nipsey, who was a client of our firm, Nipsey was so money smart. The dude was a, a, a financial guru. And he was self-educated, and he worked on himself. And Nipsey had a lot of life insurance when he died, and wow. he left Lauren in a very good position. And so, from the hood, but made it out, never really got out, but made it, and also worked a lot on himself so that he built something that lasts. You mentioned Nipsey. Question for you, now that you're successful. Nipsey's probably knock against him was he, he, he loved the hood too much. And the hood let him down. Yep. You know what 100%. I mean? It, 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 his own people, really. Yep. Right? Do, is that the biggest problem with money? Because you, you, you get jealousy. You get people that, that hate on you and, and, and are, or want something from you. Right? Is that is that a problem? How big of a problem is that for, for you personally? Well. Because it, it must be very hard to trust people. Yeah. My circle is very small. Yeah. The various, I, I know a ton of people, a ton of, and, and even more people than I know, know me. Um, that's the scary part is when you run into people that, that know you and you don't know them. And like, we've had some problems with that, but, um, the thing I hate the most is when someone asks me for, to borrow money. That's the, yeah. the one thing I hate the most. And it's not because I don't want to give someone money. I, I love to give. The reason it bugs me is because. Then that becomes um, the the de- the defining point of our relationship, right? It's like now now I'm looking at you like you owe me money, you uh, know. And even though I don't want to, it, it just and gets... I told you you don't got to give it back to me, but in your mind you want to give it back to me, so you keep saying you're going to give it back to me, and I'm trying to just forget about it. And you're like, hey, I'm gonna, you know. And then now it, it that becomes the it just creates this awkward. Even worse, right. bro, is when they go. When they ask to borrow money, and the, and it's worse when they know you have it. That's that's what makes it worse. And one guy told me recently, it's a good friend of mine. He asked me to borrow fifteen thousand dollars, and he goes, "I know." And he said in his message, "I know you have the money." Yeah, that's bad. And now I'm like, just ruined the friendship. Yeah, I'm like, really, bro? Like, seriously? I ended up not giving it to him, and he he made it. So I'm like, but that, but then the fact that like, why, why it's just that's uh, the thing that makes it so it's just awkward. You know, I, if someone, I would rather just give it to you and you just take it as a gift and a blessing and we never talk about it again. You know? Yeah. I think that would be the hardest thing is just having people constantly asking or the awkwardness of, of, of situations like something happens, you know, it's called Jay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, <laughs> The funny thing is, is you don't have to have money to be in that because that happens to everyday people that are broke. True. You know, that, True. you know, you, you got no money and, and people still ask you for money. I, I think the hardest thing for adults, if you want to be successful in anything, in a career, in relationships, in there's, there's a point in your life where you have to come, you have to become a little bit selfish a little bit, in yeah. order to get somewhere. Right. And the hardest thing for adults is learning how to say no. People yeah. don't know how to say no. Yeah. Um, 
And so they're always like someone I see even with people trying to build a career. They're so busy. And, and I'm like, how are you so busy yet so broke? How are you so busy but so unproductive? How are you so busy but so fat and unhealthy? How are you so busy but the quality of your relationships with your spouse yeah. and your kids and your friends suck? Because you're so busy being broke. You have you make no time for yourself to get ahead in anything. And so it's when you – I don't get invited to birthday parties. I don't get invited – I get invited to weddings sometimes, but – but, but, but like, I don't get invited to, for the night out on Friday. Like, cause people know I'm not coming. But they don't even ask. They just know Jay ain't coming. Jay's, I guarantee you, he's not free. But I'm so free. But I just, I, I, I learned very early in my career how to say no. And that was probably the greatest lesson I ever learned. I asked a few people this, man. I, I know you got some, we're running out of time here, but no rush. You know, can you be successful in business, money, in, in in your circles, and suck at home and still call yourself successful? No, I don't think so. I think, well, it depends. It depends who you're talking to. Um, because what one person's definition of success may be is different for someone else. For me... Um, I think a lot of people, they search for balance. That, that's how people vocalize and like communicate what they want. I just want, I just want balance and I want to be comfortable. You know, that's, that's everyday person language. Um, I don't think there's any such thing as balance. If you want to achieve something great other than I'm going to go to my job I'm going to clock in. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to do 40 years, 40 hours a week, make my 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110,000 a year, whatever. Um, you know, and I get benefits and I'm going to retire. Like, like, like that sounds like hell to me, but that's <laughs> your everyday person. Like they like, why would you leave your career to go chase a, a pipe dream, dude? Like you got benefits, you got you work for the county, you know, like whatever. Like this is the crap that your uncle will tell you, right? Uh, it's all the stuff I heard. But I think balance really, because that because that, that lifestyle right there is not balance. People go, money's not everything. I'm like, well, you spend your whole dang life just making money. That's all you do is go to work. Yeah. You spend more time of your entire life at work to yeah. make money than you do anything True. else. And so don't tell me money's not everything because you live your whole freaking life for money. And you still have none, by the way. You're still broke. Ugh. And so balance, I think, is what people chase. But you cannot ever get balance without having a little bit of a lack of balance in the beginning. Right? So in, in, the, in the first five years of my career, all I did was work. I, maybe in my head it would seem like 24-7 because I was always thinking about business. But I worked probably about the same amount of time that someone worked at a job. But I just worked for myself and I, I just felt like I was always working, but I loved it and I was passionate about it. And it was a blast. And I was for the first time in my life, I was making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. And I was in the middle of my 20s. This is 10 years ago. And so there was a lot of a lack of balance. But now I look at my life, I can do whatever the heck I want. You know, literally, I all day, every day, anything 
I would do anything. My neighbors think I would deal drugs or something because I'm always <laughs> home. I'm always home. I drive nice cars. I do whatever I want, you know? And so there's has to be a lack of balance. Um, but true happiness is what I think is success. And I think true success is, um, is your faith and your family and your friends and your finances, those four Fs. And I add fitness in there too because I don't think anyone could, could be happy if you just don't feel good. So faith, family, friends, finance, fitness, those five Fs. I love that. Um, and I think true success is and freedom is freedom of time because I know a lot of people that have all the money in the world and have no time. Time is the most That's everything, precious man. thing, right? That's everything. Yeah. Time is everything. So freedom of time and then freedom of finances, right? I know a lot of people with tons of money and no time, and I know a lot of people with tons of time and no money. Mm. I don't know very many people that have both. They have all the money, freedom in the world, and all the time in the world. That's the life. That's the life, right? But those two things in of itself is a recipe for suicide. Because you look at every every big act, you look at Robin Williams. Robin Williams had all the time in the world. He didn't have to work. And he had all the money in the world. And every accolade in the world, miserable. So it's freedom of time, freedom of money, but then also fulfillment. Yeah. And purpose, right? Right. When you meet someone who's depressed, the the in a lot of cases, the driving underlying feeling of depressed is I just I it doesn't matter if I'm here or not, right? That's the that's the thing. That's the thing at the core. Like, dude, if I freaking someone who's suicidal, if I kill myself today, no one will give a crap. Yeah. No one will even notice. Right. You know, like it. Life would be easier for everyone if I wasn't here. I'm a burden, right? It's it's this that's that that's that mental health thing that everyone's battling. And so it's it's I got success, but I also have purpose and fulfillment. What I do matters. You know, when I wake up, I'm I'm chasing something that makes a difference. You know, that's why I loved, you know, the finance game because I'm sitting with people who no one else is going to sit with. You know, I'm I'm driving to the hood, sitting in someone's like horrible apartment and I'm walking in in a three piece suit and people are looking like, who the heck is this? And like, I'm like, I, even me, I'm like, I do not belong here. The police. But I'm sitting with some single mom, right. Who's got a two year old who could only put $50 a month into an account. But that $50 a month is like everything to her, you know? And so there's fulfillment there. There's purpose there. It's like, yeah. man, at the end of the day, I'm doing something I'm proud of. I'm doing something that matters. And, um, I, I think most people don't, I think most people don't have that. In fact, I think most people don't have fulfillment. They do a job that they wouldn't do for free. Most people ain't got no time because they got to go to work. And most people ain't got no money freedom because they make an, the job pays you enough money for you to keep showing up, but not enough for you to ever be able to leave. We, we, we go, we, we've came full circle. We go back to that firefighter. Yep, exactly. That was it. Everything you just that's said, that was said. his life. And so that's why I look, I look, you can start a career. I tell people, look at the guy who's been there 30 years. That's your future. If that's not what you want, then don't do it. Mm. So where do you see yourself, man? 10, 15 years when it's time to retire. Um, Do you retire? I'm pretty much retired now. <laughs> but I, I, may, I maybe work eight, eight hours a week, maybe now. But my passion now 
Um, I think my purpose now is found in helping other people achieve their goal. That's, that's what I do the most now. I've got 300 agents um, from all backgrounds, all walks of life. You know, it's really interesting because in the very beginning of our conversation, you were, we were talking about, you know, growing up in the church, right? We do a Bible study for our company. And I get a group of us that we do the whole Bible in a year. And I get on there with them and we read the scripture. And then I, these are people that never went to Sunday school, never went to vacation Bible school, never went to Awana. Like they have no background in church. Like this is the first time they have ever read the Bible their entire life. And they're 30 something, you know? And so we get on there and I'm like explaining it to them, you know? And so we're going through it and like, they just like, to me, I'm just like, I'm picturing flannel graphs, you know, in Sunday school, like back in the day, you know, and for them, that's like the most incredible experience of their life, you know? So I, I feel like my purpose now, my goal now, what I love now is helping other people achieve their goal, you know, is I think true leadership is when, and, and you, you alluded to this is when you meet someone who's buried in debt, or someone who's broke or someone who's trying to figure out how to make it or someone who's just like, dude. I'm not buried in debt. I'm not broke. I have a great career. I make good money. I've got 200 grand in the bank, but I hate my lifestyle. I do not want to do this forever. You know, I mm-hmm. hate my job. I would not do it for free. It's too much pressure, too much stress, too much time, too much traffic, whatever it may be. I make all the money in the world. I'm doing great. I have no debt, but I never see my kids. Right. I never get to go to my kids' basketball game right? because I have to work, you know? So whatever it is, it's teaching someone how to go from there to, all right, now, you know, the, you, you make money as an employee. Then you transition to where, like, I still got a job, but now I'm also making money self-employed on the side while I have a job. I get to the point where I replace my income from my job. Now I could quit my job. Now I'm working for myself. Now I'm going to start transitioning into this being a full business, you know, becoming a business owner. And then, boom, now I got a system. I got people working with me. I got stuff going on. Now how can I transition into becoming an investor, right, which is where now I own 10 of them. It's just, you know, I'm I'm not here anymore. And so teaching people how to transition that I've got nurses, doctors, teachers, police officers, engineers, law enforcement, professional athletes, you know, who start with us, get their license. I mentor them. I coach them. I teach them the industry. Dude, that stuff is a blast. So for me right now, my goal is, you know, how many people can I make a six figure earner part time, you know, over the next 10 years? And how many people can I make a seven figure earner full time? You know, and that I think. And then teaching them the fundamental principles of how to do it right, you know, how to give, how to, you know, to, right. to, to pour into other people. The, the power of mentorship, bro, if mentorship is the most underrated, under talked about superpower in the world. If all these kids, no one joins a gang because they want to become a criminal and spend their life in prison. They join a gang because they want to be a part of something and right. there's nothing else available. True. You know, that, that, and so if, if everyone had a mentor, Sometimes people just need someone to believe in them and care about them, you know, and, and give them an opportunity, give them a shot. So good, man. Yeah, it's fun. I appreciate you coming out. Thanks, man. I had I appreciate it. I had a blast. That was some good stuff. I hope so, but it was fun. I mean, we're going to have to talk after. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue how long we've been doing this. It doesn't feel like very 154. long. 154. Oh, not bad. That's right. We, me and Cam will do one last thing, man. Let's do it. It's called... Uh, the Furious Five. So I got five furious questions I throw your way. Oh, here we go. And I, <laughs> and I ask you these. You ready? Yeah. This is a 
Jay Gothier Jr. on the Street Gospel Furious 5. Let's do it. Question number one. One starts, one gets benched, and one gets traded. Here they are. <laughs> in and out Chick-fil-A, New York Pizza. I would say Chick-fil-A starts, in and out uh, gets benched, and New York Pizza gets traded. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. The nicest celebrity you ever met. Ooh. David Beckham. David Beckham. Yeah. Wow. David Beckham. I would think the English guy would be a little uppity up. You know <laughs> no, what I mean? David Beckham, man. That is a that is a real that's a dude's dude. Really? That's a real man. That's yep. dope, man. That's good to hear. Question number three in the street guys with Fury Five. If you had one whip that you haven't had, but you want it, what is it? Lamborghini Urus. Is that like is that the, yeah, the SUV one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Justin Bieber's right. I seen a couple of. I, I, if you go to VG Victoria Gardens on a uh-huh. Friday night, there's whips out there like that. Yeah, there and you I'm go. like, whose cars are these? Where are these people? <laughs> it's a dope car, man. I've seen one like that over there one time. Lambo sold out two years in advance. It's crazy. They make a they make a limited amount two years in advance. They're already sold. Yeah, out. they're not dumb. You, you know can't know buy I mean? one until 2025. <laughs> You be, are you going to be ready or what? I don't know. I'm kind of <laughs> over it. <laughs> Question number four. Someone has $100 right now. Spare $100. What would you tell them to do with it? Figure out how to turn it into $200. Mm. What's the, what, would, what advice would you say? There's a million ways to do it, man. I, I always tell people, before you catch me back at a job, you will find me on the side of the freeway selling oranges. Because at least I could sell them at my price, on my time, wherever the heck I want. Wow. And so I, I would figure out, what can I buy with 100 bucks that I could flip for 200 bucks. That's great thinking. It's yeah. great thinking. A lot of people don't think like that. You do that five, ten times, and you're sitting pretty good. <sighs> Last question. Your biggest loss and your biggest win in life. Mm. Biggest loss... I'll just give you the first thing that pops to my head. Probably not the biggest, but it was huge at the time. I pick up one of my agents. We're driving to this appointment. And I say, hey, who are we meeting with? Give me the heads up so I know what I'm walking into. Oh, I don't know. He's one of my customers at the shop. I think he does something with insurance. I'm like, okay, well, that's all you know? That's all I know. Is he a suit and tie guy? No, he's always in flip-flops. I'm like, okay. We get there. We go up the elevator. We're five minutes late because the agent was late. As I'm getting out of the elevator, I see a front desk, and I go, holy crap, this dude's a big deal. We're going to blow it. We're late. I walk in. The guy's first words out of his mouth, do you make a habit of being late? Ooh. An hour later, he tells me he, he wants to see an account putting in $100,000 a month. That's about a $90,000 commission. At the very end, he goes, this looks great. I love it. That's exactly what I want. But I'm going to teach you guys both a lesson. I'm going to do it from someone else because you were late. And for the rest of your career, you'll remember that you should show up five minutes early, oh. not five minutes late. And I was like, walked out, bro. Dude. Lost. At that point was huge. Mm. An entire year's income because we were five minutes late. That was the biggest loss. Biggest win. Um, man, there's been a lot of them. I would, I would say being able to get into the professional athlete clientele is the biggest win. You, you get one or, one or two of those. I mean, that's that's a life 
that's a life right there so so dope man appreciate you man coming out yeah man. that was awesome that's cool you guys do a really good job on this show we I, like we'll legit, try, you man. guys do a really good job. <laughs> we try, man. I, I appreciate that coming from you. I know creative. you have your own. That's another thing you do. You had your yeah. own podcast for a while there. Give me some knowledge out you. You and the wife, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some of that. So yeah, I mean, we have a lot of fun with it. You know a lot of people, obviously. So that's cool, man. I appreciate you coming out. No doubt. Where can people find you, at, man? I know you have your company, Tenacity. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Jay Gautier Jr. Um, pretty. You Google. I mean, whatever, but Instagram is probably my platform I use the most. Cool, man. Appreciate you coming out. Everybody check out Jay, man. Give your ties. Spend your money right. <laughs> Learn about money, man. Amen. Learn something today. Get something out of this podcast. Amen. I, I love you what guys. you said, too. Don't be embarrassed, either. Yep. Do it. Amen. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, man. We out.